Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we bring you insights into film, television, online video, VR and so much more. Whatever your canvas, we'll be talking about it. Today we're going to be talking about television shows, feature films, music video, short films, visual effects, filming, directing, post-production, lighting. Today I'm so, so grateful to have Chris Hocking from Late Night Films join us on the show. Thanks Chris for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You and I connected through the Adobe Pro Video user groups. You're part of um, those as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I've been sort of very um, connected to the Adobe community for quite a few years. And yeah. It's a great little community to be involved with. And the Australia and New Zealand groups are quite strong and active as well. Yeah, I think um, having good old John Barry sort of be the glue between the the two countries has definitely been a big help. Yeah, we recently had an episode where John was on. He's been on a few times, but we went over all the new updates and features of full 2018 CC release. Yeah, just love that he's so prevalent and active in the communities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, John. We met John, I don't even know how many years ago now, but we used to always submit films to the 48-hour film competition in Melbourne. And um, one of the years, John and Adobe were sponsoring, I think, Best Editing or stuff. And um, cool. me and my sister won that. And that's where we met John and sort of been um, good friends ever since. Do you mind just sharing with everybody what Late Night Films is and your role in the company? Yeah. So, Late Night Films is sort of like a, a small production company based in Melbourne, Australia. Basically, we're a team of directors and then myself sort of sort of runs the business and day-to-day side of things. Um, so, we've got like Nicholas Collar who does uh, lots of sort of comedy sort of music videos. We do lots of television commercials and corporates and the bill paying jobs. Our passion is always sort of making our own content. And so, yeah, we've got Michael Shanks, who does a lot of crazy sort of comedy, very VFX heavy sort of stuff. And then Daniel and Jared DeParis, who um, also do a lot of sort of high concept, sort of really beautiful music video work and advertising corporate stuff as well. But yeah, I mean, we sort of do lots of advertising and corporate stuff to pay the bills, but our main passion is trying to get our own projects off the ground and make longer form projects. And there's a lot of them. It was a bit of a challenge for me today to just focus on a few and give some real in-depth information about those from you. But the webpage that we'll link to has just so many great pieces of work that everybody's created. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've done lots of lots of crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what's your role in the company? Because you've got quite a few directors and you've got some writers and producers and you're the general manager. And what, mm-hmm. what does that role entail for you? I guess my role is basically just to support our team of directors to making cool shit. Like nice. I sort of take care of all the business and accounting and I'm basically the, for lack of a better term, grown up of the company. <laughs> Make sure that everything <laughs> stays on track and support our directors in doing whatever crazy concepts we're doing at the time. Um, but I also do a lot of the sort of technical side of things, managing all our hard drives and making sure we don't lose any data. And then also just the um, a lot of the sort of creative editing as well. Cool. So you're the responsible adult in the, in the I building. I try to be. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and you're not even that old, but I know that you've got a huge um, history because you started out quite young. What was your first start in this industry? 
so yeah, I've had like I've been working in this industry a very long time. I sort of started off. Um, my dad used to work in sort of concert logistics and big conventions and um, stuff like that. And I sort of always used to go along as a young kid, sort of helping push road cases and um, just hanging out with all the the crew on big live events and big conventions and stuff like that. And um, the opportunity arose that they were doing a tour of a, um, a BBC kid show called The Tweenies. And they just needed sort of an extra helping hand. So, I definitely said, yep, definitely up for that. So, I toured around Australia with them. The tweenies are sort of like the Teletubbies, but they had sort of animatronic robotic heads. So, their mouse and their eyes moved and stuff like that. And I sort of fell into helping out with the animatronics because there was only one animatronics technician on the um, on the tour and he just had so much workload because we were sort of driving these animatronic creatures around Australia. They were just getting trashed in the truck, um, touring around on really bumpy roads. So, I sort of kept my hands full doing that and sort of ended up doing a couple more tours around Australia and um, a couple of tours around the UK and also helped out on their their TV show in the UK as well. That's an amazing start, you know, at 16 to get an opportunity to work on a show like that. And I, I, I myself do know of the 20s having young children. Yeah. <laughs> But um, you've you've also got a huge experience in post production as well, and you've worked at a couple of um, really big facilities in Australia, the butchery and the refinery. Yeah, so basically, yeah. So after high school, I went into concert lighting. So I did concert lighting for a number of years and sort of did lots of weird and wonderful stuff. I was the lighting designer for the Moscow Circus in South Africa and Taiwan, and I did lots of concerts all over the place. I Went to New Zealand for a day when YouTube launched in <laughs> New Zealand. Um, so that's my only time that I've been physically close to you. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, sort of got a bit burnt out from doing lots of touring and sleepless nights and um, decided to go to film school. So, I studied film TV at Swinburne in Melbourne. Only originally intending to just do one year and then go back to concert lighting, but ended up sticking for um, three years. And then, yeah, after that, went into post-production. I one of my lecturers knew someone at the butchery and they just needed some technical help with something and I sort of just went in to sort of say hi and offer some sort of help just for a short period of time and ended up staying there and yeah, was there for five or six years watching the company grow from I think when I first started it was just me, two editors and a lady sort of running the office and then by the time I left there was like 10 editors and online suite, a color grading suite. And yeah, it turned into a, a much bigger company than when I started. I remember working on a project where the butchery were editing a commercial piece for us. This was quite a long time ago. The work that was coming out of there at that time was really obvious, the level of craft that was being applied to it. So it really stood out. Remember fondly working with projects with the butchery? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they were very lucky when I sort of started they were sort of doing all the really high-end stuff. So, everything was shot 35 mil. They were doing like all the big beer ads and just all the big budget sort of high concept sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was a pretty – lots of cool jobs to work on. Yeah, it's um, it's nice when you can operate at that level of the industry and um, pick and choose. Everybody out there will know that you need to have the bread and butter jobs to, uh, to keep the cupboards stocked. If you can um, land a couple of high-profile projects, it can really put you on the map. And what I noticed with your work is you've got 
pretty high profile people that you've been doing work for. Guy Pierce, you guys were creating a music video for him, for Storm. Yeah. So yeah, Guy um, has a very close relationship with one of our directors, Michael Shanks. And I think the way that sort of came about was they had a mutual friend through, I think, um, a band manager or something like that. And somehow Guy saw one of Michael's early music videos and Guy loved it and got in touch with us. And yeah, we've done a couple of music videos with him since then. And um, he also very kindly agreed to do sort of a cameo in our uh, web series slash television series, The Wizards of Oz. So yeah, we were very lucky that he was willing to sort of jump in that as well. It's The Wizards of Oz is something that I want to talk about in detail, but just talking about the music videos with Guy um, Storm, that was really impressive. I always love to see uh, making of or a behind-the-scenes video, and there's a great one that goes along with that video that shows just how much work went into the visual effects and compositing. An epic piece, which is off-speed shot on the Phantom. Yep, that's right. A lot of compositing of the face back on top from the red. That must have been a compositing headache. Yeah, I didn't actually have... I was actually overseas when that shoot happened, which was a blessing and a curse because it <laughs> looked freaking fun, but I, it was also hellishly hard from every <laughs> every department and angle. But yeah, Michael, um, Michael's sort of our visual effects guru and he also directed that one. And yeah, there was a lot of sort of compositing work bringing in two cameras shot at the same time at two vastly different frame rates to sort of have the face... Um, in sync with the music, but the actual live action component was, yeah, running at a different speed. So, yeah, lots of crazy VFX work done in that. And Michael does everything in After Effects. So, yeah. Oh, really? Lot, yeah, lots of uh, After Effects and Element 3D in that one. I'd love to see those timelines and comps. That would be a cool one to dig into. Yeah, Michael is the most messy After Effects <laughs> user of all time. So, you would not understand them or there would be pre-comp within pre-comp within pre-comp. Whatever gets the job done, eh? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, did he have other people helping out with all the comping and things? I'm thinking there's a lot of shots to execute on that particular video. On that clip, no, he did everything himself from memory. That's intense. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't think... Yeah, I think for that one, everything was done in After Effects. There was no additional help, so yeah. Now, The Wizards of Oz, that's a pretty epic piece of work with some really full-on battle scenes. Before I dive into that, we should give everybody a little bit of an oversight of what The Wizards of Oz is, and that's spelt with uh, A-U-S, not O-Z, and it's something quite unique and special, really. Do you mind sort of explaining what that series is? Yeah, so we were very fortunate to get some Screen Australia multi-platform drama funding to make a six by roughly 15-minute sort of web series that later we released as three TV half hours to SBS in Australia. So, it sort of premiered on SBS TV over three consecutive nights and then 30 days later we released it for free on YouTube. It's basically a series about um, Jack, who's a wizard, sort of gets fed up with the magical realm and sort of moves over to Australia, to just a normal suburban sort of town. Um, But unfortunately, lots of other magical creatures sort of follow him along for the ride. And chaos ensues. So much great humour that's written into the show. Yeah, Michael and uh, Nicholas Issel, who wrote the show together, are very, very crazy, but very, very funny. So, yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of funny jokes in there. 
Just wondering about the um, funding behind that. So was it basically completely funded by the funding that you got or did you have to get more investment to get it across the line? No, we basically got, I think our Screen Australia, it was basically a grant um, through their multi-platform drama fund. So I think it ended up being about $333,000. So that was sort of what we did to make it. And then um, the way the government funding sort of works is they'll only fund 80% of your production. Um, And so the 20% was essentially ghost money in that, we did all the post-production ourselves. So, on yeah. the budget, Late Night Films put in 20% of the budget, but we just – it was basically just me and Michael with a couple of helpers. So, there's some pretty epic sh- scenes in there, compositing of environments, you know. Um, you've got some really massive castles with big battles and you've got dragons. That's just in the in the realm. Then you get into Australia and in Melbourne, you've got um, – some pretty heavy duty compositing of Flinders Station being engulfed by sea, seafood and things yeah. like that. So I'm just trying to get wrap my head around how you managed to pull all these off with such a small team. Yeah, so we basically had it was basically me and Michael were the post team. So we co-edited it together on Premiere, working off ProRes four 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 Ultra HD files. Uh, Michael's on PC, I'm on Mac. Uh, but I think it was 37 weeks me and Michael were sort of locked in his mum's basement doing the posts. I could have that number slightly wrong, but it was around 30, 36 to 37 weeks. And, yeah, everything was done on After Effects. Michael did pretty much all the compositing. We had a couple of helpers with some of the crazy rotoscoping. Um, and we had a couple of helpers with the one thing that me and Michael have absolutely no skill in is 3D. Um, so Michael's amazing girlfriend helped with the dragon and then Jack Nolan helped um, with some of the roto and one of his helpers helped with some of the other sort of 3D stuff. So we had like the road um, exploding and breaking up. That was all like 3D sort of elements that someone else provided and Michael comped together. And we had another guy sort of help us with some 3D snakes. But apart from that, everything was pretty much done in After Effects. All the battle stuff was done in After Effects. Lots of element 3D, lots of After Effects tricks to just make it all happen. So I'm thinking not doing massive simulations for crowds, but um, shooting a few various plates and recompositing to build up those battle scenes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The old, um, oh, my brain's not working, but who's the guy? Star Wars guy. Gareth. Gareth, the old Gareth um, Edwards technique. Yep, yep. Um, FXPHD, he did um, the class way back that was for Tiller the Hun that showed yep. a lot of tricks that you could do in After Effects. And oh, just seeing the way he broke down how to execute a project like that, meticulously just chipping away day by day to get it done. Yeah, and I mean, that was basically, that that exact technique was how we sort of did the battle scenes with some slight improvements for 2016. But um, yeah. yeah, lots of, we also had a giant to-do list of shots that I feel like every day was growing rather than shrinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we yeah, there was a lot of similarities he between yeah. I think yeah, probably similar diets and slim, similar hours of sleep. 
Yeah, it's um, I'm just so grateful that FXPHD put out all that content because I think that that particular course helped a lot of um, small teams and productions pull off some pretty impressive looking work. Yeah, definitely. What sort of response to that series did you get? Because it felt like a lot of people were talking about that when it came out. Yeah, it did really well. So it sort of, like I said, it sort of premiered over three consecutive nights on SBS in Australia. And then I think after the first episode, SBS released it for free, all episodes on their on-demand sort of player worldwide. Um, so it did actually really well on SBS on, as a, a TV show. They were really happy it outperformed some of their other much bigger budget comedy shows. Um, and then once we put it on YouTube, we got a really good response as well. Um, we sold it to Canal Play over in Europe, so it, it um, did really well over there. And also Qantas picked it up for all their sort of international and domestic flights as well. So it was pretty cool to sort of hear of people watching our crazy show on a Qantas flight. Congratulations. It's, it's, so, it's such good work. It's really funny, really enjoyable, and we'll have all the links to that. But, yeah, congratulations for creating it. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, it was uh, certainly an adventure. Now, that sort of has led into a lot of other work that you have produced as a company. What strikes me is the technical difficulties that go into some of your work, namely, say, music videos that are completely shot underwater. This is um, for The Swell. I, I, I was just like awestruck when I watched the behind the scenes of that particular music video. That's one of my favorite ones from a, a technical how we did it perspective, basically, a bunch of random people emailed us, said like, I think it was like literally like, we've got $500, we want to do a music video. And we're like, oh, we're never going to do a music video for $500 and said, well, throw some ideas and if you like any of them, we can chat further. And one of the ideas was a batshit crazy, we'll shoot something in a pool underwater. They loved it and wanted to do anything to make it happen. So, the budget grew very, very significantly from $500. <laughs> and yeah, we uh, basically came up with a concept. This was directed by Daniel and Jared De Paris. And um, yeah, we shot an entire music video in an underwater bar in an outdoor swimming pool. <laughs> we'll have the link to this. You have to see it to really appreciate what went into it. I, I, yeah, I can definitely see the budget. It was way more than $500 just seeing the crew and, you know, everybody that's outside the pool and inside to make that whole music video work. Yeah, I mean, the budget was still really, I, I honestly couldn't tell you off the top of my head what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't massive, I think. I want to say we maybe spent like 15 grand or something like that. So, there was a lot of people working for free and yeah. um, a lot of put people putting a lot of time and effort to sort of help out. But when you're doing something that's so cool, like it's easy to get people excited about it. So, we had – it was just the whole process was kind of amazing. We had – the sets were massive. I think they were – I want to say like 3.6 meters or is that not high enough? But yeah, it was a very deep pool anyway. It was a dive pool and we needed the um, the walls to go right the way up. We needed people that could hold their breath as long as possible. So, we had like uh, free divers that could hold their breath like comfortably for like five minutes underwater <laughs> in a chlorinated pool. So, they would sort of just hang around at the bottom and obviously, we had to have lots of safety divers and um, 
tiny at Showtech, he was sort of our saving grace. He sort of he we've used him for lots of crazy projects. He's a a, a production rigger. So we've made him lift rockets with pyrotechnics on it off cranes before. And this one, he brought his team and they assembled everything underwater and were our safety divers and sort of made sure that everything ran as smoothly and um, as well as possible. But yeah, it was a a batch crazy, crazy shoot. And when we sort of rocked up on the first day, we'd built all the set out of wood and everything and just everything floated. So I think to get like the bar to the bottom it was some stupid amount of weight that we needed. They just kept on adding like tons and tons of weight to make it sink because it just didn't want to sink. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely one of our most ambitious and crazy projects we've ever done. Yeah, it's very, very cool. I was watching, seeing those huge walls drop into the pool and thinking just, just trying to move them in that environment would have been such a technical nightmare. Just, yeah, and safety. Yeah, that was something that I definitely did cross my mind. Yeah, we were just lucky that we had a dream team that were able to pull off the impossible because, yeah, there were lots of times when we started putting those wood things in the pool and they were floating, we thought we completely screwed up and there was no way that this was ever going to happen. But, yeah, luckily we had uh, very smart people that could execute all our batchy crazy ideas and, yeah, it all sort of came together in the end. I'm just wondering about the post on that as well. Like, um, did you have to do a bit of cleanup or did the set look good out of the can? There is a lot of visual effects on that one because there was a couple of problems. One was that it was really hard for our actors to look comfortable underwater. Like, when you're in a chlorinated pool for a whole day, like, your eyes must just be absolutely killing So, for example, there was a fair bit of sort of beauty work because the pool was also very, very hot because we were filming it sort of at the end of summer in an outdoor dive pool. We ran the pool at the hottest it could possibly run. Um, So, yeah, there was lots of sort of skin cleanup stuff because of red eyes and just wrinkly skin because of being in warm water all day and stuff like that. Um, But... Yeah, in terms of the set, there was a bit of cleanup sort of work, but not as much as you'd expect. Like even the lights, we actually wired up sort of underwater lighting. So that was all nice. practical. Pretty much most of the set was all practical. So yeah, everything you sort of see was actually under the water. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, it's hard enough to shoot a music video on land, let alone underwater. Yeah, and we were very lucky. We had an amazing underwater cinematographer and then Shelley, who's our sort of above-water cinematographer, he was looking at a monitor and he had a microphone that had like a, uh, what do you call it, like an aquaphone or maybe the opposite, basically an underwater speaker. So he could sort of talk to the people under the water and give direction to the actors and the um, cinematographer and they would give the thumbs up if they understood and... So we had a pretty cool system where sort of he could see what was being shot. We had a feed from our – it was a red red dragon, I think, under the water. So we had a feed from that. And we also had a, a GoPro um, sort of above, watching above the set as sort of our safety camera as well. So we could yeah. sort of direct it from above, which was a, a pretty cool process. Awesome. Just um, thinking the directors of that were Daniel and Jared uh, DePeris. Uh, De yep. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking late night films feels like a bit of a family unit because your sister's also involved as well. 
Yeah, so Jackie sort of started Late Night with us. Um, well, Late Night sort of started when me and Nick went to Swinburne together. It was sort of our third year um, or maybe second year film production company with a bunch of other uni friends and we just sort of stuck with it. And um, after uni, my sister started getting into filmmaking as well. Um, so me, Nick and Jackie sort of turned Late Night into a proper company and started chasing work and making it our full-time jobs and... Then Jackie, Jackie shoots mostly documentaries overseas um, and then somewhere along the line she just didn't come back and she's now based in Singapore and um, doesn't really have that much to do day-to-day with late night at all but um, is, yeah, constantly travelling the world doing all kinds of amazing documentaries and sort of uh, socially conscious sort of corporate content as well. Cool. What a lifestyle, eh? Yeah, she has the most bizarre life of anyone I know. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's done the Sydney to Hobart yacht race with a, a lady in the boat that was pregnant and she's uh, climbed up Everest and she's, yeah, she's filmed in some of the most amazing places. She's, like, the yacht has coasted past the... Um, uh, one of the islands they use for shooting all the Jurassic Park sort of big island sort of cutaway helicopter yep. shots. And, yeah, she's had a pretty crazy life. Location scout out in the world for you as well a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, the balance of doing these projects versus the corporate or the commercial work, it is a real balance where doing these projects that don't have the budget, do you find actually draw that commercial and corporate interest and at the same time that work balances out to help fund those projects? How do you find that balance between the two sides of the coin really? Yeah, we're really bad at business. We don't (laughs) advertise that we like if you look at our website, like it's all the fun and cool stuff. We don't really advertise that we do corporate or advertising work. We don't have any business affairs people or people chasing work. So, we sort of rely solely on word of mouth and we don't really proactively chase work. So, we just hope and rely on the fact that people will call and we'll do enough paid work that we can keep doing the fun stuff. So, yeah, our passion and we definitely we try to avoid the paid work as much as possible so that we can concentrate on the fun stuff. But yeah. at the same time, we have offices and a few of us now have babies and houses. And uh, so, yeah, we also do need to occasionally pay the bills. Yeah, can definitely understand that one. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. But at the same time, I, I feel like uh, if you put the work out there that you want to do more of, hopefully that connects and uh, starts happening too. Yeah, and like we've, we've got a, some friends that sort of have done the opposite to us. Like we're very small, compact. We sort of – we really focus on trying to build the the creative – side of things because we just think that like eventually like long term we want to be doing feature films and big budget Netflix shows we don't want to be doing advertising corporate stuff whereas we've got a couple of other friends that sort of went the other extreme and invested big money into fancy offices and fancy equipment and are just chasing that corporate advertising sort of world and we sometimes look at them and get jealous because you're like, oh, look, they're making so much money and stuff like that. And then when you speak to them, they all, all they want to be doing is the stuff that we're doing. And they yeah. end up a lot of the time, they dig themselves into such big debt because once you start building a big machine, it just becomes like a 
a real job where you've got massive staff that you need to pay. And if the work dries up, suddenly you've got a whole lot of salaries that you need to keep maintaining. So, yeah, we've tried to sort of keep lean and fast and um, really focus on the fun stuff. Like there's been lots of times where we've actually turned away sort of like medium scale corporate jobs because we've got a, too many mu- unpaid music videos happening, but those unpaid music videos are so creatively fulfilling that they sort of seem worthwhile. Yeah, there's a couple of things there that I really feel resonate with um, what's happening in the industry is understanding that the middle ground isn't really where you want to be operating. So you're the projects that you're working on are either really well paid, but maybe not very creative. And then the creative ones, you know, don't have other fingers in the pie to mess it up. It's in the middle that you want to avoid where it feels like there's a little bit of creative, but there's a lot of um, interference in the project and the creative aspects of it. Yeah. And we have actually been doing a lot more sort of post-production work. Like obviously my background was in post at the butchery and we're very technically proficient at doing post-production, but we've always sort of traditionally avoided, especially like TVC sort of work in that sort of post-production space because it can be hell. (laughs) Um, But yeah, since we've all started having kids and houses and stuff, we sort of are saying yes to a lot more stuff that we traditionally just say, hell no. Um, But doing it in a way that rather than investing in $200,000 flame suites, we're doing everything uh, a lot more cost effectively and a lot faster and sort of applying all the same methodologies that we use on our creative projects to sort of high-end television commercials and doing things like rather than upping our office and making it agency-friendly, we'll just go out to smaller, like dry hire a space and do it out of other people's production, um, post-production facilities and things like that and just saying, no, you don't need to do it on flame. This is a really simple project that we can literally grade uh, sound mix and um, online in the offline editing software. Yeah, it's such a different environment now than it used to be where you had to have the heavy duty investment in the the flames, the smokes, the flints and all of that where the reinvesting in that was just not economical for people long term. Saw so many post production facilities go under because you've got these massive overheads of equipment and then really talented staff to have that continuous flow of projects and having actual facilities set up. Uh, yeah, it just crushed so many people I saw throughout the late 90s and the early 2000s. And yeah, now it's just such a different environment where you don't even need everybody in the same location. The, the tools are there to help communicate and do, plan a project and project management from wherever you are out of your own home office across different states or across the world. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like a good example is like the way that we did Wizards was so creatively fulfilling because we had complete control over the whole post-production pipeline. So, for example, if we were in the sound mix and the sound designer comes up with something funny that will affect the edit and maybe the visual effects. We had complete creative freedom to go, hell yeah, let's just do that. We'll jump on the other machine over here. We'll extend the edit, resend you the files that you need to get the sound back into sync and we'll update the visual effects and we'll reapply the grade. And 
there was no picture lock. We were literally modifying things up until the moment where we exported to broadcasters. Like having that complete creative control makes the end product better. But at the same time, that like in if you're in a traditional sort of post house environment where they're very, you must picture lock, you must send an EDL, even though EDLs are a hundred years old, and there's such a strict pipeline of how to do things. Whereas if you can do things a, mo- a lot more freer and when you can sort of modify the sound after you've done the picture and jump on the visual effects and mess things around. Um, yeah, you get a lot more creative control and in a lot of cases that will really help the final product as well. Yeah, really important, like you say, for comedic timing because that's what was so essential to the Wizards of Oz is that comedic timing. And I did wonder, you know, with having so much visual effects, um, how how much you were playing around from the offline edit through. So it makes complete sense that you would want that freedom to just craft the comedic timing out of the whole piece as much as possible. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, every time you watched it, you thought of something else. Like there were so many great ideas that came from our sound designer or our colorist or just random people watching it. Um and being able to just, and like sometimes they didn't work, but having the ability to be able to just quickly experiment and try those things um, was so sort of freeing. Um, and yeah, you couldn't, It's especially with comedy, like you need that freedom to experiment because you only know that's funny once you hear people laughing. And if you're sort of just locked up, especially as me and Mike were locked up together in a, his mum's basement for a, a long period of time. Like, you need sort of external <laughs> um, advice because what we thought was funny could have just been sleep deprivation or just <laughs> too many croissants. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. And now it's time for the Pro Video Packs. So, Chris, um, Pro Video Pack, what would be yours for this week? I'm going to plug my own thing. We make an open source application called Command Post, which um, for anyone using Final Cut Pro 10, it's sort of like a bunch of utilities that sort of speed up your workflow um, and add a bunch of stuff that Apple has decided not to give us, such as like a scrolling timeline, um, individual shortcuts for all sort of plugins, effects, transitions, titles, generators, etc. Time code overlays, a pasteboard history, a shared pasteboard, um, batch exports and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's basically like in the same way that like Fusion has um oh sorry, the new Resolve Resolve 15 has a um a new Lua or Python-based API. We've basically built our own API for Final Cut so that we can make crazy plugins that do all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. Sounds awesome. No mean feat technically either. No, we, yeah, and like like all our projects, there's a lot of gaffer tape and Band-Aid solutions involved and uh, chewing gum holding it all together. But yes, it does some, um, some pretty cool stuff. And um, the intention is definitely not to make it Final Cut Pro only. Um, like some things that I really want to do, it just requires a lot of time and brain power is I really want to add the ability to sort of be able to copy and paste between Final Cut and After Effects so that I can literally just select a couple of clips on the timeline and paste them into After Effects. Um, yeah. In the same way that you can do with Premiere. 
Yep. In a, yeah, automatic duck back in the day used to allow a bit more talking between all the various products. But yeah, it's, it feels like a Final Cut's been a little bit siloed of late. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, we use, I mean, we use Premiere a lot and um, every Michael Shanks project is a, a Premiere and After Effects heavy project and pretty much all our all our VFX work is done on After Effects. Um, but yeah, we do. A lot of people in the office, are, um, we all use Final Cut as well. Awesome. Great pick, man. Well, um, go out there and buy it, everybody. Let us know how you're finding using it. Any tool that speeds up the workflow and helps out has got to be a good thing. So, Chris, following, who are you following? Oh, good question. What have I just watched recently? I just finished uh, Lost in Space. Oh, yeah. Was it good? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's on yeah. my list. Yeah, no, it's um, it's not that, like, I think it's 10 episodes, so it's not like a a major commitment. You can sort of bash it out in a long weekend. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the, the humor of the kids and it felt like a real family lost in space. <laughs> Did you ever see any of the um, original series? I think so, but my memory's so vague on it. I think it was such a long time ago that I couldn't. Yeah. As a kid, I thought it was such an old-looking show, but it was on every once in a while, and you kind of like that, good TV's not on. Oh, well, I'll just watch this. Yeah. So I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be interested to see um, how, how closely it ties back to the original. Yeah, I know Dr. Smith is now a female. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely some updates from the uh, the original to the new one. So, I'm not sure Do how similar they are, but yeah, she's still bit. really, or she or he, depending on which series you're talking about, is still very annoying. So, they kept that, <laughs> they kept that going. Where do you find inspiration and influence? Where are you looking to find that? Oh, very good question. I mean, there's lots of awesome sort of Facebook groups that I'm obsessed with that I spend a lot of time chatting to and lots of great communication on Twitter as well. But I guess if I had to pick one thing to plug off the top of my head, I reckon going back to something we chatted briefly about earlier is um, FXPHD. Like, I haven't been a member for a couple of years now, but like back in the early days, I was a, a member for many, many years and the stuff that Mike and John were doing, like those courses are so amazing and I've got such a big back catalogue of FX PhD classes that I constantly go back to and I've got like a spreadsheet. So, for example, if someone asked me something really complicated about colour management or some really sort of nerdy, geeky topic, I can just jump back through my FX PhD archive there will definitely be a class that will answer all my questions and allow me to sort of catch up on, re-remember what I learnt and then re-educate other people. Yeah, the FX PhD sort of back catalogue of, um, of classes is uh, very inspirational and influential. That's so funny. You sound exactly like me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was a member since um, semester two. Um, yep. way back and I haven't also been doing it the last couple of years I think the new model just kind of meant that every once in a while I'll jump in if I need something but I've got a massive back catalogue as well and what I did is I had um, exported all the class notes that they provided and 
copied them into Evernote and now OneNote. And so I could just do a search very similar to your spreadsheet and just searching for, say, green screen. And then you see all the hits of all the different classes that green screen came up. So I've done exactly the same thing you are to jog my memory on what I've learned. Yeah, so, so helpful. Just so many smart people. And even like the, the Gareth Edwards one, like I still occasionally jump back. And look at that class because there'll be things that jog my memory. And even like like something I do on a weekly basis that I should really know this by now is like um, I constantly jump back on like Andrew Kramer's old tutorials and even simple things like um, uh, what do you call it? It's like the demon face one where he um, he sort of stabilizes something and then destabilizes it so you can sort of apply things to it and then restore it back, whatever that technique is. Yeah. That's something I constantly forget which ones I need to link to which, so I'll constantly yep. jump to that. I know exactly where the time code is that he says what I need, <laughs> what I forget. But, um, yeah, yes, Andrew Kramer is another one that is just a bloody legend. I remember seeing that done by, I think, Stu Meshwitz, um, but also, uh, what's his name? He wrote the book on After Effects, Christian... Um, Oh, yeah, I've got the book. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but that technique, I've definitely used that a lot. We can basically just work on a stabilized comp, but it all flows through. So, in your in your master timeline, it's all still got the camera movements, but it's a lot easier to do what you need to to have stabilized image. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very sort of, yeah, a very good technique that something I just regularly forget how to do for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's so much th- so much to remember and, you know, if you don't have to use that area of your brain and you can offload it to flick back to a video, why not, eh? Yep, definitely. So, inspirational video, what would be your inspirational video? Oh, that's a very good question. One product that is really, really interesting is a product called um, Lumberjack Builder. It's designed for Final Cut 10. But you probably you could use their own tools to sort of get it to other applications. But it's basically like a, a non-linear text editor. So the way that sort of works is you um, you transcribe all your footage, you bring it into this builder program, and then you can sort of edit it using JK and L and your normal sort of editing things. But you're working with text rather than um, with video footage. So you can sort of build out an edit based on text put it in order and whatever you want and then export it back into Final Cut as a, um, a completed edit. Um, so on the Lumberjack site, there are some videos of how this sort of builder thing works and it's not out publicly yet, I don't think, or it might be out very soon. But yeah, definitely worth having a watch of that because especially if you're doing like really long and boring corporate work where really the agency are going to tell you exactly what they want anyway. If you can work out a way that your client or agency can sort of do a text-based edit and then give you a file that you can just bring into your own editing thing, it's all cut up already. Like that would be very, very beneficial. Yeah, great pick. Um, That's from Philip Hodgetts, who's very well known in the industry. And uh, he's probably the metadata king, really, has been going on about it for quite a number of years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think... um, the product initially started out as um, some sort of assistant edit 
way way back but yeah i know that it's been on the burners for for a while and um yeah it would be great to see that and implemented and taken advantage of because philip's a very smart guy and can see into the future the tools that are really going to make a big impact yeah definitely yeah it's um yeah really great idea really well executed so yeah hopefully hopefully everyone can get their hands on it and hopefully it'll make people's lives easier yeah yeah a smart guy or another smart australian eh yeah, definitely. They were all. It's all the Australians overseas. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of good New Zealanders, I guess. <laughs> sweet, bro. Sweet. All right, man. So, uh, where can everyone follow you online? Where's the best place? Um, I'm on Twitter as Late Night Films. L a t e n i t f l m l m s dot no not dot com. Just Late Night Films on Twitter and latenightfilms.com is our website and. Facebook.com slash late night films is our um, Facebook page. And if you want to learn more about our command posts, crazy little Final Cut application, it's just commandpost.io. Um, and yeah, pretty much all our, our crazy projects are on the late night films website. Awesome, man. We're going to have some links to that. Thank you again, Matt Lloyd, for doing all the show notes and the links. Um, so if you're listening to this episode on a podcast app, swipe left or right wherever the show notes are and we'll have the links there nice and easy thanks heaps again matt for doing that i I couldn't do it without you bro so finally chris who do you think i should ask to be on the show who would you be keen to hear on this on a future episode oh i need to go back through your back catalog and catch up on a bunch of episodes but have you ever had philip hodgetts on your show no no that's a good one actually yeah, Philip would be great because he's a very smart guy, very lovely, um, and I'm sure you two could chat about all the nerdy things. <laughs> <laughs> definitely could, definitely could. And he used to be the show host of the digital production buzz before um, Larry was way back in the day. Yeah. So, he has a voice for radio as well. <laughs> he does. He definitely knows how to podcast that, man. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, good pick, good pick. Okay, well, you can follow the Pro Video Podcast on Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. You can join the Slack group. Go to provideopodcast.com forward slash Slack and join us in conversations there. We cover the whole gamut of the industry, whether it's 3D editing, cinematography, visual effects, or, or you know, just, just talking a bit of crap even too. So join us in there and, um, yeah, it's a free-flowing conversation. Also got the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Just search for Pro Video Podcast. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Blair Walker. So love love for you if you've enjoyed this show, which I really hope you have, to shout it out to everybody else in the industry so that they find the podcast and start listening too. The more you share, the more you're helping me out. So please do that. Really, really appreciate that. And thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show. It's been such an awesome time to have you on and talk about what Late Night Films has been doing and your background as well. No worries. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Everyone, have a great week and we'll catch you next time. Okay, bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.